Talk about that. You're ready there. I think I'm fully ready here. Fully ready. I think I'm fully ready. As ready as I can be. Okay, I actually forgot. Did we plan on introducing before the intro song, or are we taking it as if we are coming off the back of the intro song? Ooh. Um. I know we had a five-minute discussion about this, and I've completely forgotten. I kind of like the idea of just jumping into it and then playing the intro song. Okay. So should we do that now? Um, what do you mean? Like, just talk now? This is the jumping in part. This is the jumping in part. Now? Yeah. Oh, you mean start talking? <laughs> yes. Yeah, all right. We'll start talking now, so. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Uh, <laughs> what's going on? No, this is... Is this how you start a podcast? Probably not, no. Probably not, but... Hello, how's it going? Hello. So the intro song has been played. No, the intro song hasn't has been not played. been played. No. Okay, so we'll we'll agree to jump in, mm-hmm. talk, play the intro song when we're actually starting. Okay. Or should we wait? So we do it intro, general chit chat. Should we just do? Is wait. Do you know what? I'm going to make an executive decision. Yeah. I'm just going to say hello. You're listening to episode one of Take Two. I think that's a bit formal. This is never going to work out. I think, okay. <laughs> Wait a sec. Let me just get this in my head. I'm trying to like imagine the beats of it. So. All right. We're still recording. Still recording. I feel like it's like takes, but uh, it is takes, I suppose. Yeah. But hello. Hello. How's it going? Who would have thought? Who would have thunk it? Who would have thunk it indeed? Who would have thunk it indeed? What are we doing? No. <laughs> okay. I think it's just it's very uh, I'm very aware of this with this setup. I think I think at the start it needs to be somewhat formal. Yeah. Um just to introduce ourselves and get into it. And then once it's a bit more familiar yeah. to everyone. Yeah. So that brings us back <clears throat> to should we just play the intro music from the very start? No, I don't... You still think there should be something? I think that's just really, like, blunt. And, like, people turn it on, and then it's just like... Like, what is... People are just like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Do you know? It's for the first one as well. I don't know. I think it's... I always prefer... I like a little cold open. Do you know? Okay. I'm just going to do it, okay? I'm going to make a run of it. Yeah. And, and we're going to try that, okay? Okay. All right. You ready? It's still recording. <laughs> okay, right. I'm going to do it, right? So, hello, hello, and welcome to the first episode of Take Two, a uh, new film news and review podcast for myself, Brendan Garrett, and my friend, longtime friend sitting across from me here, Connor Maloney. Um, this is our second go at this, some listeners might remember from our... No, no, that was good, but not good enough, because you were... I should have left time for you to introduce yourself. Do you agree? So, I'm gonna Possibly. Do it again. What? Yeah. What do you think? That was better, though, was it? That was better, yeah. Okay. I still imagine that coming in after the intro, though. Mm. All right, we'll do your way. Good morning, Vietnam! Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Happy people just don't shoot their husbands. There's no crying in baseball! And I'm walking here! I'm walking here! tired of getting the fuck in and the lollipop. And the Oscar goes to... The Oscar goes to... And the winner is a movie from South Korea. What the hell was that all about? You know you're just the rudest man. Let's get Gone with the Wind. Can we get like Gone with the Wind back? What you just said 
is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Take Two, a film news and review podcast. My name is Connor Maloney. Uh, if you're listening, you probably already know me. Our scope isn't that wide just yet. But I am one half of the Take Two team. The other half is Brendan. Brendan, introduce yourself there. How's it going? This is uh, Brendan Garrett. Do you give your second name? I gave my second yeah, name. Yeah, I'll, I'll give mine as well then. This is Brendan Garrett, a uh, long time fan and friend of Connor Maloney here. Joined him for our, our second take of a uh, of a film podcast here. Yes, yeah, so our third take in a sense. We've uh, we've we've had a couple of goes of this before. Uh, to mixed rev- uh, mixed reviews. Well, actually, I've never heard negative reviews. Nobody was uh, nobody was mean enough to tell me or brave enough <laughs> or brave enough. Yeah, because I'm a scary, <laughs> intimidating you're, you're, you're a threatening figure. But um, yeah, so we're back again trying to uh, give our thoughts on the films of today trying to trying trying uh, our the important word there trying our very very best um so yeah what have what have you been up to since let's see our last recording was just over two years ago i think um it would have been yeah i'd say about two and a half that rate yeah. um what have i been up to a fair bit um finished college and went into the working world and then uh, went on a working holiday, I suppose you could call it. I moved to New York, and uh, the pandemic cut that short. So I'm back here now, in Ireland for the next while at least. Uh, still working away, but uh, confined to the locality. Okay, yeah. So our, our future looks good in terms of the podcast. We're both going to be... Yeah. Con- yeah. <laughs> we're yes. confined to one space for, yeah. for the next while. I, uh, I'm sure I'll be joining uh, the Dole Queue soon enough as well. <laughs> so uh, you'll see me there. Um, and and then you'll see me afterwards when we're recording this every yeah, Friday. Just a brief layout of the structure of the show. We are here to talk about film news and review a few films if we can along the way. Um, we decided to go. What are we going with this week for our big review? Uh, this week I will be reviewing Dating Amber. Yes, the new Irish film that is exclusive to Amazon Prime mm. for those lucky. For those, for, lucky, those, <laughs> for those lucky few, for those in the, those few who are in uh, Jeff Bezos's uh, bargain bucket, mm. uh, you're you're in for a treat. And then with some industry news, um, I've been slightly fascinated by the life of Woody Allen. Just the uh, not in a good way, <clears throat> not in a good way, not in a good way, in a curious way. Um, and I'm going to have a look at where he is now and how he's found himself in that position, pretty much. Um, and then a few other things, Brendan. We're going to look at a uh, Quibi. Yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna touch on Quibi. Uh, just a funny funny sounding sentence right there, but uh, <laughs> I'm gonna talk a little bit about that. And also, uh, Chris Nolan's one man quest for keeping America's cinemas open. Of course, yes, uh, difficult task at that. Mm. Yeah. So before we get into that review of Dating Amber, have you been watching anything interesting? Uh, yeah, I've been watching a little bit, you know, it's hard, I, I've lost all attention span in the quarantine, so uh, I'm slowly, slowly making my way through things, um, most recently of which is I've started watching Sopranos for the first time, uh, one episode a night, very slow progress, but it's class, <laughs> real good, um, 
great, great characters uh, and great use of characters. And it's a nice, uh, nice little reminder of uh, those kind of New York, New Jersey accents. And then as well as that, last weekend, I watched a absolute banger of a film uh, being John Malkovich. I don't know oh, if yeah. you've seen it. You've seen I it? I haven't seen it. I do know of it, though. It's very good. Uh, Spike Jones, an early Spike Jones flick. I'm just surprised. I didn't know he had a name back then because he has all these big, big names in it. Um, it's unbelievable. Uh, really, really good. John Cusack plays an incredibly creepy man. John Malkovich plays a not what I thought John Malkovich would be like version of himself. It's very good, uh, and, and that's pretty much what's been on my on my table for the last while. What about yourself? Well, I went back um, to watch Ozark. Mm. Um, I'd watched the first two seasons as they came out, I don't know, two, three years ago. Well, with the second season last year. And I went to go watch the third season and kind of realised that I forgot everything that I'd seen previously. Mm. So should have just watched uh, Breaking Bad. Yeah, so you told as a recap. So you told me, yeah, the the shows are obviously the exact same in yeah. your, in your, in your opinion. <laughs> uh, this is a discussion that we've word had. Word for word, the exact same. Yeah. I think my favorite episode of Ozark is uh, when Jesse Pinkman shows up and yeah, yeah, and and uh, and gets addicted to heroin, yeah, or something like that. You know, like or when Jason Bateman starts uh, starts selling, but it's. Uh, <laughs> uncanny Un- I know uncanny. I know so that has taken up a bit of my time unfortunately because I feel like I should be well I should be probably finished season 3 now whereas I'm only halfway through season 2 so that's taken up a bit of my time um, other than that I suppose I've been keeping up to date with what we are going to be discussing today so that has been taking up the majority of it. this This podcast has taken over my life we haven't even started yet oh yeah no yeah taking up all my time it's a good thing I have all the time in the world <laughs> 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 so from here we can probably go straight into the review yeah of Dating Amber so Brendan can take it away yeah so Dating Amber is a uh, film that came out in the last two weeks I believe solely on Amazon Prime interestingly enough and it is the latest film from Irish director David Frayne his previous work most recent work anyway was the 2017 uh, The Curing I believe it was or The Cured I should say a zombie film in which the zombies are brought back to life and cause a socio-political uh, crisis uh, starring Ellen Page so quite to jump into 1995 rural Ireland here uh, starring Fiona O'Shea uh, from Normal People fame and Lola Pettycrew uh, as Eddie and Amber, two people who are come to realise that they are gay in this restrictive environment and who resolve to uh, get together superficially, uh, serving as each other's beards uh, in order just to uh, get on with uh, being gay for as long as school lasts until they can get out of town. And I believe you have a clip to play. Amber, what's for lunch? Carpet? Not today. Your mum's getting shampooed. Oh, what? Fucking leather. What? Eddie, do you have a shift yet? I... No. I just haven't... I haven't met the right... Are you a faggot? No. No, no, no. No, I don't... Come on, you have to like someone. Yeah, no, I... Hurry up. Tracy. Tracy. Because she's super hot. 
Quetzal. So, a few things, you know, stuck out to me uh, from this film. Um, first of all, uh, if you know Shea, you know, he's a good actor, uh, as you can tell from, from both these roles. I feel like he sh- he's suffering the uh, the Joffrey syndrome, you know. You just think he's going to be an asshole the whole time. You just think he's going to be an absolute dickhead when you're watching this after coming from, uh, from normal people because he just plays it too well. But you kind of get past it uh, throughout the film, but... I found, I don't know if this is just the actual way it was, or if it was just from what was going on with me, having seen normal people, but I thought Lola uh, Pettycrew actually shined a bit more than him throughout, or, you know, it could also be the fact that he uh, he plays a very restrained character, uh, and repressive character for, for most of the film anyway, but um, but yeah, it's, that was definitely something that kind of caught my eye within it, Um other things that stuck out is that this film is very aggressive with how much it tries to ground you in the time and place that it's set in. So, 1995 Ireland, specifically Kildare, uh, you know, just the divorce referendum going on that they, they keep hammering in. Um, there's nuns on the TV pretty much watching you have sex uh, in these sex yeah. ed videos. Um there's also the school culture, you know, um, the crudity of school, which I thought was pretty spot on. Um, yeah, the, I think I think definitely one thing that I noticed about it is it doesn't deal in subtlety whatsoever. It's definitely every everything that they're trying to push that aspect of the bullying and the nuns, and like I think even one particular scene that pops out for for me in that sense was when uh, Lola Pettigrew's character Amber comes out and it's it's known now and she's greeted she walks into school the next day and she's greeted by the nun mm. with just a frowning face yeah I mean it's just yeah you know it's it's hard for us because I don't think we we, we missed out on that I think with our age uh, but it's everything that you're told it is if you get what I mean um, from that time in regards to the nuns and the, the presence of religion everywhere, but it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely, it's uh, it's out there, you know, with what it's trying to say. Um, definitely remember, it reminded me of what school was like anyway, you know, they're like, just how fucking loud-mouthed <laughs> everyone is and straightforward with, with the jokes they're saying and the uh, the carelessness which, with, cer- with which certain uh, words are said. And another interesting thing that popped out to me was just how... Uh, Definitely, it, it balanced this, uh, or not so much balanced, as combined this coming of age and coming out story that you see with both of these people and this kind of typical Irish genre that has emerged over the last hundred years now of this, the the emigrant, or the immigrant, emigrant, I should say, Mi- migrant, uh, no, not migrant, emigrant, we'll go with that one, yeah. but uh, it's... Um, Basically, you know, it's it's the story of the young needing to leave Ireland uh, because what's on offer here just isn't enough for them. And the only way to properly grow is to get out. Um, and, you know, it's reflected, obviously, in real life. Everyone has friends who feel the need to leave. And it's reflected in numerous examples um, of art. Most recently I saw was uh, Sing Street, uh, another... Irish film focusing on on youth in school who feel they're being repressed by some sort of system who resolve to go to, I can't remember if it's France or England in the end, but it's a similar story here um, where the characters feel they are restricted by their environments and are forced to leave. It's just that it's nicely woven in 
with uh, a good, a very nice and lovely coming of age and coming out story. The only bad thing I really have to say about this film, though, is it's, you know, it's an hour, hour and a half, uh, which I normally love and laud directors and script writers for being able to do. But it does a great job in its first half of setting up Ireland, you know, and setting up these characters and injecting humour where, where it's where it's suited. Um, and then literally the, the last act is condensed into 10 minutes, I'd say, you know, it just... It just goes like bang, bang, bang. And it it almost feels like this was meant to be maybe a hour 50 or two hour film, but maybe Amazon. I don't know. I don't want to point fingers, but it feels like it was cut down and it mm. feels like uh, it suffered because of that. You know, uh, there, there's the actors do a good job with the emotional beats, uh, particularly Fiona O'Shea um, with him struggling with who he is and... Uh, I feel like it's just that they weren't given enough time to properly go through it. Even as well with, with Lola's character. Um, the scenes where she becomes comfortable with, with who she is and, and what she wants, uh, I thought just played out far too quickly, you know? And it's almost like we were here figuring out what the story was and then a few short minutes later, we know everything that we want, you know? Okay. Um, in conclusion, it is a great film. I really recommend it, especially if you're like me and you have this lizard brain from quarantine where you can't go 10 minutes without looking at your phone. This is a nice one to kind of drift in and out of. You're, you're going to feel nice at the end of it. And it is also just a good crack at what it's like to be in Irish schools. Um, you know, we saw it with normal people, uh, a pretty raw look at what school can be like. But this highlights just... Almost how stupid people in school like people just say stuff without realizing what it is, you know, and what it can be to someone else, and people feel forced to say these things by themselves, you know, and and yeah, and that's the film. So that's your review for the week there. So I suppose we'll move on to the news now. And Connor, I believe you have something to tell us about Woody Allen. I do. I have a lot to tell you about Woody Allen um, I'm not sure if everybody is overly interested but it's something that's piqued my interest in the last week in the last few weeks actually basically back in 2015 I want to say Amazon were trying to push their way into the um, online platform as well as and they signed Woody Allen to make a TV series um, it was bad oh. basically <laughs> Woody Allen came in he made what was it called again Crisis in Six Scenes Um which featured Mighty Cyrus and Woody Allen as well, because I think that's that's been his buzz over the years, you know? Yeah. Everything features him <laughs> or an aspect of him in the storyline here. Yeah. But um, that was released in 2016. It was, I haven't seen it, so I can't give my own personal opinion. Apparently, it was pretty bad. Okay. But Amazon decided to continue on with the Woody Allen train. And after that, they signed a five-film deal with Woody Allen. Mm. So basically... We're taking. I think what did uh, hasn't Adam Adam Sandler oh, have some crazy deal yeah, with Netflix recently? Like hundred like million for films. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're just churning them out like one by one. Yeah. I get an email about it every like second week saying, hey, "Check out the new Adam Sandler film." Yeah, but anyway, Amazon, <laughs> Amazon kept it to five with Woody Allen, um, just trying to cement themselves up against the other big hitters. Um, the first one of that was Wonder Wheel which was released in 2017. This is where the problems started to come in for both uh, sides, I suppose. As it was being released, it was 
right around the time when the Me Too movement was gaining um, a lot mm. of momentum mm. in the industry. Obviously, everybody knows the story of Harvey Weinstein uh, and where he has ended up now. But yes, around the time that Wonder Wheel was being released, Alan had a few comments to make, basically in his own defense, because I'm not sure if everybody knows, um, without going into too much detail about Alan's past, it's checkered um, in terms of sexual allegations made against him um back in the 90s uh, at the time nothing was made of it so um well there was a police investigation and nothing was found um to be happening in that situation but they've seemed to be reignited with the me too movement kind of some people pointing the fingers towards woody allen some 25 years on saying well what about this guy yeah. this guy needs to be held accountable for mm. so in um in defense of that he has basically just chosen his words pretty poorly one thing that he did say um was saying that he ought to be made the poster boy uh for the me too movement that was basically off the back of him saying how he has conducted himself professionally over the years with his female co-stars or females that he's worked with or anybody he's worked with and that he's been uh the utmost gentleman and that should be uh that should qualify him to be put on the poster i don't know yeah you can imagine how that's going to be uh, <laughs> yeah, it's received amongst the uh, the Hollywood anyway. But um, moving on from that, yeah, so that was around the time that the Wonder Wheel was being released. And then I think around the same time or shortly after that, um, as these comments were getting him into hot water, he'd finished production on his second film, um, A Rainy Day in New York, which mm. is just being released at the moment. They just held on to it. June 2020. They didn't just hold... Well, they did hold on to it in a way. Following on from his... Um, all these comments about the Me Too movement, Amazon decided that... Basically, the, the deal that they signed with him, the original five-year deal... Or, sorry, five-film deal, was not going to reap the rewards um, financially because okay. basically Woody Allen's name was... Even though it was already in a grey area, it was being plummeted even further down with all these things that he was saying so they decided to cut the remainder of the five film deal and that was obviously after a rainy day in new york had Mm. finished production so this film was just left in limbo for the last two years pretty much it's since been picked up by a distributing company who has been obviously at the moment with coronavirus no film is getting a theatrical release but it's been it seems to be staggering its release across Europe trying to get rights in different countries so I think okay. it first was released in Italy then it was in France I believe it's in the UK now mm. um, and also here so it's not an easy film to, to seek out but um, one of the main things that interests me about Woody Allen's story and this is kind of um, it's been happening for years is that he's even with the allegations that were made against him in the 90s, and they've always been hovering around him for the last nearly 30, 30 years now, he's still managed to work with an incredible amount of celebrities yeah. or amount of actors. Um, most recently in A Rainy Day in New York, you have Timothy Chalamet and you have Jude Law and Selena Gomez. What seems to be constantly happening is that, or consistently happening, is that he's working with all these top class actors and then they have kind of done a bit of a U-turn on their opinion on Woody Allen. And it was probably because of the comments that he'd made towards the Me Too movement, which is... This is from the cast from Rainy Day. So we're talking like Selena Gomez and 
Timmy C. Timmy C. Well, yeah, most famously and most recently, those two from the cast of Rainy Day in New York, they have um, since come out and said that they regret working with Alan, uh, that it was a poor decision. They've also donated their salaries to the Me Too movement um, in aid of what they're trying to achieve. But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, actors like those have come out and said that. um, I believe Alan came out since and, well, it took a pop shot at Timmy C saying specifically specifically oh um our boy Woody Allen was making the point well he, he came out and said that I believe that Timmy C was actually looking out for number one when he oh. was making these comments and making these decisions to, to announce working with Woody Allen because he was around the same time he was being um geared up for an Oscar nomination which right. he eventually got right so basically Woody Allen was like hey you're only saying that because you want to the Oscar, yeah. or you want the Oscar nomination. So he was kind of making that pop shot. But um, it's just a really interesting situation that's been happening for years now that Woody Allen, he has a checkered past and he's some of his choice words over the years about, because he seems to be very defensive when he these kind of accusations are made against him that he's always kind of saying, no, I'm looking out for me. He's not apologetic about mm. the situation that he seems to have landed himself in. Mm. And obviously, it's it's been going on for years, and he's and he's he's still making films to this day. Still has a lot of people on his side. The dude is eighty five now. He's been churning out he's a film on. every year. Yeah. Or every I think every year bar one maybe in the last couple of years because of everything that's been going on. He's kind of mm. landed and he found himself in a difficult situation with the uh, with the uh, Amazon deal. Yeah. But I film every year. I film every year. Yeah. Woody Allen. That's where the uh, We're like Woody a lot of films. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should mention actually this wasn't going to edit gonna, that out sorry <laughs> uh, I should mention I wasn't going to do a review of this film I'm not going to but it's I, I have watched it because I felt it was it was uh, really yeah I felt it was probably f- only fair that I gave it all. it's only an hour, hour and a half but it is an hour and a half of poor filmmaking really yeah and it's uh, I've watched a couple of so I was I've, I've had a weird introduction to Woody Allen films over the years and the fact that I haven't seen any of his classics as, as, as it would be called but um, I'm not sure if this is his style of filmmaking but it's just not very good and everything seems very wooden and all yeah. the actors seem like they're reading from a script at the same time trying to improvise mm. and it's just not good it's just not good but Maybe it, yeah. the thing that interests me is how he's still managing to get like all these top quality actors to work alongside him it's a name thing. I like. I remember. It's only kind of clicking with my head now that I'm looking at the cast list. But I remember years ago, uh, obviously two uh, years ago, <laughs> seeing Jude Law complaining about um, this film not being released, saying that you know it's a real shame. This is a really great film, and it's a shame that it's being clouded by. Like it kind of had that tone of like fucking hell. Let's not let art get in the way of of politics of what mm-hmm. was going on. Uh, which personally I don't I don't know I, th- I think Jude was on the wrong side of things there but uh, and now it all makes sense you know I've, I've never seen a Woody Allen film myself so I don't really know the style that you're you're talking about but it might just be a very outdated style you that's know? the thing yeah because I, I did I felt it was only fair if I go back and look at a few or sorry, I went back and looked at one of his old classic classics uh, Annie Hall and again that's the big one isn't it it won four Oscars. Yeah. And I really don't see what the uh, <laughs> what the attraction is. Like, it was good. It was definitely better than A Rainy Day in New York. It was definitely more 
together as a film but I think it just lacked structure yeah I didn't like it just it felt like I was it was missing scenes or something like that yeah and it was just kind of scenarios back to back that weren't they were like slightly connected but not hugely and like that could not be more evident in a rainy day in New York where he's just completely lost the plot <laughs> and it's kind of taken obviously like a few different aspects I haven't seen all of his films but like a few different um, like scenarios and aspects and characters from like his complete work and just chucked them into one film mm. and thought yeah, you have at it like see what happens like but yeah. it just doesn't work like well apparently he's still I like, he's obviously moved on from his Amazon deal which has has been terminated and he's, he's it's amazing how he's so uh, determined to continue on mm. because he's like he has been in a sense ostracized ostr- ostracized like exiled yeah ostracized yeah. exiled exiled is easier to say More dramatic yeah <laughs> <laughs> but he has been in a sense uh, the fact that like Amazon cutting off the steel and then I believe that this film won't get a US release well mm. it hasn't and I don't think it's looking to get one so he's uh, he's effectively kind of been exiled from his own country and then I'm pretty sure in, in one of his uh, in an interview he did recently he was fairly aware of that and kind of said you know fuck it I'll keep I'll keep working <laughs> wherever work will have me Leon yeah. and whoever sees it sees it like you know yeah does he even enjoy working you know this you, is you'd wonder, or is it just done out of pure spite at, at this point you know he, as you said he's very uh, very argumentative very defensive person mm-hmm. uh, I know most people when they're at that age would prefer not to work but like is this dude literally doing it is he that big of an arsehole that he's only working because he knows people are not happy with the fact that he's working. <laughs> that he's still working. Yeah. Hey. I don't, we'd have to ask him. Uh, but <laughs> that's not going to happen. No. But there's there's an interesting side to the story as well. In that, you know, you said, talking about Timmy C and Selena Gomez. I don't know if the rest of them uh, in this film called me as well, just for the record. The mm. other big actors that Wikipedia is telling me about are Elle Fanning, Diego Luna, and uh, Leave. Schreiber, I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, that's it. But it's weird how um, they must have known about this. They obviously knew about this. And they're in Hollywood going into this film. And to turn around 180, specifically with Woody Allen's comments about Timmy C, I kind of agree uh, Mm. with Woody Allen's. It does seem that like, oh, you've suddenly developed a, a sense of morals how convenient yeah. that is right before Oscar season or reward season, you know? Uh, so to his credit, I'd agree with him with that, but like, what? Well, I don't know. I don't know what to think. Like, what's important supporting anyone in Hollywood if if you're going to change your opinion on them the next day, you know? Like, it's... That's true. Again, yeah. that's a question for actors, not general people. No. But like, it's... I don't know. The whole thing is paints a depressing scene of, of what Hollywood is. I think you were mentioning earlier you wanted to discuss uh, Christopher Nolan's situation with his new film that's coming out. Well, hopefully coming out hopefully. in the next in the next few weeks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, do we hope? You know, is is the grand question? Do we want cinemas open? Uh, well, that's another thing. But uh, yeah, so Christopher Nolan, uh, I think everyone knows him at this stage. Directed Inception, directed Dunkirk most recently, I believe. Also directed the these three Christian Bale. Batman films but he has a new film coming out uh, starring David Washington I believe it is and Robert Pattinson and it's called Tenant it is a time not in travelling but time inversion uh, film as Nolan is calling it whatever whatever that means 
And it's so shrouded in mystery that none of the characters know what's going on. Uh, know how it ends, know if they're the antagonist or protagonist. Apparently the marketing material is doing something interesting with that, but it's due to release on the 17th of July. Uh, there's a little, I saw one one tweet pointing out that Tenant spelled backwards is Tenant and the release date release date uh, dated backwards is uh, 717 so there's a little uh, ah. there's a little interplay there but um, yeah so so Nolan is worried that this will not release um, obviously you know something costs 200 million and you blew up uh, a 747 a Boeing 747 uh, in, in real time for it you, you might want it to release as well a lot of money riding on this and Nolan took to the pages of the Washington Post to pen an op-ed calling for cinemas to reopen uh, in a very romantic style. Uh, I actually I have two quotes picked out for you here that I'll combine into one for you that paint the angle that Nolan is going for here. So, so here we go, Christopher Nolan. In uncertain times, there is no more comforting thought than that we're all in this together, something the movie-going experience has been reinforcing for generations. In addition to the help theatre employees need from the government, the theatrical exhibition community needs strategic and forward-thinking partnerships from the studios. The past few weeks have been a reminder, if we needed one, that there are parts of life that are far more important than going to the movies. But when you consider that what when you, but when you consider what theatres provide, maybe not so many as you think, as you might think. And then going on, he finishes this op-ed with Hardest hit right now are the workers from businesses such as movie theatres whose entire appeal is based on humanity's greatest instinct and the one now turned against us, which makes the situation so damned hard. The desire to be together. Maybe, like me, you thought you were going to the movies for surround sound, for goobers, for soda or popcorn, or for movie stars. But we aren't. We were there for each other. Strong words, interesting take, and one I don't consider entirely true. Um, Go on. You know, it's... You know, I, I, I back this idea that art is a, is a thing that brings us together, that it is a community-based thing, and it can be a reinvigorating uh, substance or, or material. But at the end of the day... Uh, what Nolan is arguing for here is for these theatres to open back up just so his movie can release. Yeah, I wonder uh, would he be saying the same things if uh, he didn't have a film yeah, about you, to release as well. You have to be sceptical about this because, you know, industry analysts are, are pointing out as well that this this is essentially a litmus test. If you remember your uh, your junior research science, this, is, this I, film I, is... I definitely you don't? I definitely, no, I definitely so, don't. So I'll put it another way then. This film is due to be released mid-summer. It's... Uh, currently the only uh, summer blockbuster on, on the block uh, that is to be busted. You know, things that Marvel cancelled all their things, Disney cancelled all the things, I know they're the same, and, and Universal has cancelled a lot of their things. And this is really the only thing out there. And people within Hollywood are looking to this to tell whether or not there will, if theatres reopen for this specifically, whether or not uh, people will actually go. Thus, showing the light for whether or not there's room for blockbusters come Christmas and autumn. And people want to know that. So if mm. the cinemas do reopen, then we'll find that out. But there's also the other thing to consider in that you might know this yourself, having worked in a in a cinema, Connor. But mm-hmm. 
movie movie theaters they pretty much make barely any money. Uh, their their margins are 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 tough. Do you know? So there, I saw one quote saying that movie owner or theater owners only make money two out of seven nights a week. Yes, and that's. And I, I'm pretty sure a majority of that it would be not on ticket sales as well. You'd actually mm. be looking at confectionery, popcorn, and drinks. Exactly, it's, people. It's where the bulk of their profits are coming from. I, w- I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be going to cinema first of all, and I also wouldn't be buying popcorn uh, that's been shoveled in for, with someone, perhaps someone's hand, but uh, obviously with a glove. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, these, and also you're gonna have to take into consideration there's social distancing rules, so they're not gonna be able to fill out full cinemas. So. I don't know, Christopher Nolan's plea for a return to art so that we can get what we've always needed. It's, it kind of rings bells of the Imagine uh, video that Gal Gadot did. You know, it's just, <laughs> can we all come together under the light that I'm shining on you? You know, yeah. it's, I don't know. I like Christopher Nolan. Uh, I like his films. I prefer his brother's work. But uh, this just seems... A little uh, out of touch. Okay, and how would you like just uh, on a on the same note as well? How would you feel if if, however, is possible that cinemas are reopened in the next couple of weeks uh, in time for Tenet? Would you be comfortable going to the cinema? Nope. No, that's a, uh, that's a hard no. Not at all. Like like you see the way Irish people are going on. No one's wearing masks. Uh, like whatever about people going out and about. People have been cooped up, but people aren't wearing masks. People aren't wearing gloves. People aren't taking proper precautions. People aren't social distancing. Uh, I wouldn't feel comfortable. Like I've effectively written off the rest of this year. Do you know? For just cin- for doing for, for, for cinema going on for cinema amongst, going amongst other things for music goings or, or yeah, kind of like cultural events. Do you know? Mm. And I think going to a cinema is just uh, it's just not. I don't know. I don't think it's going to happen personally because I don't see why cinema owners would open up just to make losses like what is to be gained there if they're going to be making losses and then you also have to wonder what other films are going to be shown is it just going to be tenant seven times a day <laughs> like what no <laughs> like yeah. this i don't think it's entirely realistic and, and no one calls for government to help out but like get real mm-hmm. the u.s government giving money to uh companies that aren't airlines no, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> i'm afraid not mr nolan but uh. I I don't know. We talked about this before, Connor, and I'm of the opinion that what's going on here just shows a, a complete lack of imagination. And there, this is a chance for all entertainment industries. The quarantine as a whole has been a, a chance for every, every industry to kind of step up and, and kind of evolve how they've been doing business. And you've seen parts of it, you know, like... I didn't watch any of these, but like you've seen, there was a trailer for Tenant shown in Fortnite, for example. Uh, I've heard about Travis this. Scott did a uh, uh, just st- while we're still on Fortnite, he did a performance, a concert in Fortnite. Phoebe Bridgers did one in another game, Minecraft. But like, there's there's examples of people kind of stepping up and being like, okay, how, how else can we deliver this content? Uh, mm-hmm. Games are huge. Let's put it through there. Now, I'm not saying put it through games, but I think they're. And I think I said this example to you before. It's like, what if they had timed uh, geographical releases for Tenant that you could buy tickets to online? Yeah, you did you mention know? this. I thought that was a pretty interesting angle on it. Um, yeah. So you'd have like a collective experience of watching it from your yeah from so, your home. So like just just so I'm clear about it. You know, look, what if it's a uh, what if say I, I don't even know what production company or distribution company is behind this, but what if they say, hey, uh, Tenant is going to be shown next Tuesday for Irish audiences. 
with Irish IP addresses only online at 9pm. Do you know? And mm. you have to pay tenner and that gets you and anyone you're watching with in. Now, I know that's probably not realistic from a financial perspective because people cost 200 million. They're going to, I yeah. think his, his film then, then again, reopening cinemas and having social distancing in effect isn't yeah. really viable either. Exactly. So, I don't know. I just think, and that's just one example of one way it could be done. I think... I think these industries need to get a lot more creative and stop being so fucking lazy about how they they are reacting to this. You know, I think they they need to show some innovation. Uh, otherwise, uh, Christopher Nolan isn't going to get his uh, his palindromic uh, release date of the seventeenth of July. So you're uh, you're definitely seeing through the cracks of his uh, his cry for cinemas to be open, reopen. I, I see, I see him. Yeah, I, I see you, Christopher Nolan. <laughs> Hiding behind the pages of the Washington Post. Yeah, well, obviously, you mentioned how different industries are kind of changing their their setup and how they're trying to push content on us. Mm. Um, and that could not be more evident, I suppose, than what we were discussing the other day, Quibi. Yeah, so Quibi for, uh, I'd say, everyone. Who, who doesn't know? Who doesn't know? Which, Include, is, in, in, which included me up until about five, six days ago. This is the thing, you know, when you tell people about it, they're like, wait, what? <laughs> that, that sounds wild. But Quibi, for, for everyone uh, who doesn't know, is a new streaming service uh, launched. Um, start, I think it was April 7th. It was, it was the first week of April anyway. And it had been in the works for a while. And it was a ridiculous name, Quibi. Uh, stands for Quick Bites. You've probably seen ads for it because they've been everywhere, starring various uh, actors and, and, and famous people and the likes. But it's basically the brainchild of uh, a very famous Hollywood man, uh, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Katzenberg, who worked as the CEO of Walt Disney Studios, I believe. He was also the CEO of DreamWorks and he oversaw in, in both companies big hits like Lion King, Aladdin, Little Mermaid, Shrek. Madagascar, uh, and the big one, uh, Kung Fu Panda. But, so it's a marriage of his uh, Hollywood background as well as Meg Whitman, who is a a tech head. Marriage of her ability of running tech businesses. So she was the CEO of HP. She was also on the board for uh, Dropbox. And she was also the CEO of eBay for a while there. And what this was is it wasn't meant to be a competitor to uh, other streaming services like Netflix or, or Amazon Prime or uh, HBO Max even in, in America. It was more meant to be a competitor to social media uh, in, in the fight for our eyeballs, as it's been deemed. So it was the whole premise is, uh, is that you're only meant to watch it on your phone, right? Quibi, quick bites, everything is 10 minutes or less. Uh they, I think they got an investment of over one billion from all the big, the big big studios in Hollywood. They plan to produce over one billion for the next year in original content, which roughly equated to I think eight and a half thousand original short form episodes of one hundred and seventy five shows, which is wild when you're it's crazy, man. It's crazy. It's even crazier when you look at the stars they're getting. You know, Reese Witherspoon. Offset, Chance the Rapper, uh, like these big, big names, Will Arnett, Spielberg, Spielberg. And then, on another level, it's even crazier when you look at the type of content that's going into these. So Spielberg's show is called, unoriginally, uh, it's like Ron Seal, Spielberg's After Dark. And the whole gimmick <laughs> is that, besides being done by Spielberg, which is almost a gimmick at this stage in, in terms of its marketability, is uh, it can only be watched once it's dark outside. Um, 
there's so yeah house trick today on that well i i don't know i doubt they're outside shouting at you yeah. until until it gets dark but i don't know it's probably tied to time zones and there's room to like that's a very seasonal thing you know like if it's winter you could be cracking into Stephen's work uh by half four yeah but if it's now you know you're not getting if you're it, so in if you're in sweden if you're in sweden a lot earlier yeah you'll get through <laughs> those 10 minutes uh 10 minute episodes very quick you know so you have that you have um Dishmantled, which is one of my favourite uh, ideas ever. Um, I can hear it in your voice. It's it's fascinating. They they get like high high class chefs in. I think it's like three. Maybe they might be Michelin star chefs, but and then they have a catapult at the other end of the room, and they launch dishes into their face, and they have to guess what it is based off the collision and the texture. Um, <laughs> wild. There's also uh, this is skirt. Uh, without, which is sorry, sorry. One. skirt <laughs> I'm not I can't do I can't do the high pitch I'm not going to ad libs I'm afraid but that is uh, Offset's car show I could have guessed yeah uh, what else do we have here we have a when you say car show is it like a pimp my ride type of they haven't clarified and okay, I haven't watched so. Uh, so uh, it's hardly just offset you, walking around the street being like ah oh, that's alright isn't it <laughs> that's a skirt that's, that's a skirt then you have Punked making a return with Chance the Rapper which is an odd one um, he doesn't really have the the same, vibe the same gusto as uh, well, Ashton Kutcher yeah well to be fair I haven't watched any of his interviews to be honest with you I, I've only listened to his music but I never got that uh, mischievous vibe off punked vibe off yeah <laughs> then there's kind of uh, typical shows like Most Dangerous Game which is like a Bourne style uh, show starring Liam Hemsworth and, and Christoph Waltz and there's uh, what's it, what else do we have here we have LeBron's documentary uh, called I Promise, which is about the school he runs called the the Promise Schools. Okay, and again, is that going to be like in short ten minute episodes? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I think it's kind of like styled as like a feature length film, chopped up into chopped up in like eight or ten episodes or whatever. And then like in utterly uh, wild thing, like they just they're they're like they're they are inventive. You have to give it to them. You have a you have a thing with Will Arnett where he just stands in an empty room telling you cringy pop culture facts quicker than the time it would take you to Google these things. That's that's the whole spiel with that. There's also Fierce Queens with Reese Witherspoon, which is a, a nature documentary in the vein of David Attenborough, but with in, a feminist lens. So it's like looking at like uh, female animals that do cool things uh, while Reese Witherspoon narrates. narrates. A lot of, a bit of a controversial one because she got paid a fair few million for it and the person who signed the deal was her husband who okay. works at Quibi. Oh, and then there's so um, maybe a bit of nepotism going on there. Yeah. Uh, well, we're not accusing anyone. No, but, of uh, Alleged, alleged, Allegedly, ne- of course. And then there is another one of my favorites. favorites. It's called uh, Game Show with a Y in the middle of game. And I think I might have told you about this one. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, uh, it's hosted by two comedians, I think. And it's essentially, they get different uh, straight men in each episode to compete for who is the biggest LGBTQ ally. Uh, I don't know how they do it. They, okay. I don't know what the <laughs> metrics are. Again, I haven't watched any Quibi shows. Um, but I don't know, I might. Uh, it sounds like something that's grasped your... See, this thing, it's so it's anyway. so out there that I would just try these things, do you know, like, and they're uh-huh. only 10 minutes. They're only 10 minutes. And just to bring it back to the whole point of this, you know, it was designed to compete with social media. It was uh-huh. designed to be watched on the subway or Dublin bus, bus I should say. I've yet to, I've yet to acclimatize to that difference. But uh, 
or like when you're waiting in the line for something or like you know these sort of scenarios uh, mm. scenarios that are explicitly tied to a pre-coronavirus world um, and this released in the middle of lockdown and has failed miserably at gaining any traction you feel um, because people have a lot more time in their hands oh. than 10 minutes that they, they can actually spend the time yeah and but there's another factor to that as well so basically it was meant to be watched on your phone right and they had this unique tech that allowed you to watch it either vertically or horizontally and what it would do is, I don't know how they did it, but they filmed it so that you would see more of the shot. based. So you'd see more vertically or more horizontally based on which way you had a phone. Which implied that you could rewatch things and might pick up on okay. details that you missed. All right, So that explicitly ties it to your phone. Mm-hmm. They banked on this being a viable option. Coronavirus got in the way because everyone's at home, not mm. commuting or whatever like that. And since then, they've actually walked back and they're now allowing you to connect up to your Chromecast or through AirPlay if, if you're Apple. Okay. And it's a complete uh, surrender to... What they're, what they're marketing. Yeah, their unique selling point. Yeah. Like. And what's interesting is that it wasn't just the corona. Jeffrey Katzenberg, he blames it com- completely on the coronavirus. But it's also that there was another streaming service that beat him to this uh, that wasn't Netflix or Amazon Prime or anything like that. It was TikTok. Oh, yes. The infamous TikTok. Yeah. Moment. And yeah. It, it's completely wiped the boards. It was, I read, wiped the boards, wiped the floors. Uh, <laughs> it's wiped something. Well, he's not a teacher uh, <laughs> in, a, in a rush to leave the class, but uh, it completely wiped the floor. And there's an interview, I think, in the New York Times where the interviewer brings up uh, TikTok and how he feels about it. And you, he doesn't quite address it, but you can... You can feel from the words on the computer screen the mm-hmm. seething rage that this guy has because so much money was on this uh, a lot of people thought it was going to be completely disruptive to the Hollywood industry but as we're seeing it is not it it's is fallen flat on its face it's fallen flat on its face and it's just it's pretty much becoming TV you mm-hmm. know uh, it's not unique anymore so it's it's conformed to uh yeah. Society around trying to, uh, trying to be an innovator. This is the thing. And, you know, if we're going off the assumption that the medium is the message, you know, would you watch any of these shows while you're sitting on your couch? You know, like... Yeah. I've, 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 I've thought of hungover days where I've had less than yeah, like 10 minutes uh, attention span. Yeah, I suppose. Short, like, just shit brain food. Like, it's just... <laughs> Like, sorry, there's one, there's actually, there's yeah. one show I would watch okay. on my thing, and I forgot to mention it earlier, and this is called... And it's not Dismantled? No, this is actually Wilder. Uh, I might even do a review of it, but it's called Murder House Flip, uh-huh. and uh, which it's only dawning on me now is actually the premise of uh, The Haunting of Hill House, but it's, um, it's kind of like... Um, I don't know if you ever watched, they're on like the Discovery Channel or the History Channel or whatever. It's like these dudes that like buy old worn down houses and redo them, do them up and sell them at a bigger... I'm familiar with the premise, yeah. Flip yeah, yeah. And uh, this is this guy buys houses people were killed in uh, gruesomely and redo... He's not wiping down the blood or anything like that, but he is, uh, he's doing them up to sell them at a, at a higher value. Like how absurd is this you know we almost got one when we were moving moving away uh me and you not me and you okay. uh but me and the me and the gang when we when we moved to new york we almost got an apartment we we saw an apartment and we we're like geez that's nice and cheap isn't it mm-hmm. and then one of the guys uh 
had the, the foresight to be like, no, no, no. Google that address. And uh, sure enough, wasn't a, a woman. Uh, I'm not going to get into details. No, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty grisly, okay, but yeah. uh, she was murdered. And um, that, uh, that would completely turn you off. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So but if you if, if you see who's the host of you uh, saw murder house slip, I don't think it's if you I, see I, if, if you're I, ever yeah. buying a house down the line and this guy, hello, yes, no, probably going to turn, turn the other around, around. Turn around, <laughs> but yeah. So there's show like that or like bar architecture, which is uh, essentially <laughs> these words. Sorry, these if, names. <laughs> I know. If, imagine if Dermot Bannon exclusively dealt with dog houses. This is what this show is. Okay, like that's a show I actually want to see. Yeah. So I don't know, like. There's a few of these shows I'd sit down for maybe one episode or yeah, but again I feel like these shows. It's I think it's telling based off the uh, the synapses the synopses for them that they were made to be enjoyed like that yeah and almost probably quickly forgotten about yeah like people have downloaded it but not enough like it's not in the top 100 apps on the app sto- on the Apple App Store so. I think I think he's right and that the coronavirus did ruin it, but um I I don't know what's gonna happen. I was one of the people who thought this could be something. Yeah. Um but we'll see. You know, like they're literally giving it away for free. So moment. it's free now. They're literally giving Oh wait, what month is it? It's June. June. April, May. Yeah, I think they're giving away for the first three months for free to everyone. Okay. I still haven't downloaded <laughs> like and you've been talking about this for, for a couple of days. I'm the only, still. yeah. I've been talking about this for months uh, to whoever <laughs> listens. And I still, I'm interested, I think, in the idea more so than the actual product. But yeah, we'll see. Maybe uh, if anyone, um, if anyone does watch Quibi. Uh, has seen any. Hit us up. Yeah. Hit us up, you know. We'll, we'll, we'll have our, our social media there in the, uh, in the description. So uh, send us a message or whatever. Uh, I'd be fascinated to, to understand why. We're done with that. It's game time. Ladies and gentlemen, prepare to witness the greatest happening in sport. Can you feel the tension in the air right now? Sudden death dodgeball. I know I can. So as we're coming to the end of the show here, we're going to play a quick little game that Connor has cooked up for us um, called Head to Head. Uh, each week we are going to take a topic in film and we're going to uh, say, argue over which uh, which has the better example of that topic. Uh, for example, today is fitting for the times we live in, uh, where each week brings a new one of these, but it is the worst apocalypse in a film. We both have our contenders, so I think I'll I'll start things off with mine. And before I get into it, uh, I'm going to give it an honourable mention to uh, the worst oh the runner up or the worst not the the actual worst uh, Sharknado uh, of course the film where, of course where sharks and uh, meteorological uh, phenomenons combine in a way you've never seen it before uh, I've only seen bits of it while my dad watches it on the sci-fi channel I think he's watched all four or five or whatever it is now there's and more there's more than one is there there is more than one i think there's like a follow-up as well where crocodiles are involved but uh they're uh they're something i wouldn't watch <laughs> to put it bluntly but they i suppose they they their imagination uh grants them a place in the pantheon yeah of apocalypse films but uh my title winner for worst apocalypse film or worst apocalypse in a film yeah, I should is. say just to set the parameters correctly is Mark Wahlberg's The Happening 
For those who don't know, uh, this is a mid-naughties film from Mark Wahlberg. Not too sure the director, but that doesn't really matter too much in this case. And Mark Wahlberg plays an English teacher uh, with surprisingly excellent grammar. Uh, <laughs> if, you, if anybody wants to watch, uh, get a very quick giggle. Uh, the trailer, typical, it's almost like parodic. Uh, in how dramatic it is it's like your typical one day a man can't like you know and oh just Mark you've just reminded me it's uh, M. Night Shyamalan yes it's uh, it's. I think it was his first R rated film as well but uh, there's a great bit in the trailer where Mark Wahlberg uh, they're like stuck and the National Guard's there is like you, you gotta stop man and he's like why do we have to stop and he's like we got orders from the top and he goes from whom I was like, oh, it's correct. You know, it's good grammar, that but is. it's just like, you just don't, you don't, it's unexpected, <laughs> you know, but I suppose that's, that's why they made him if an English if teacher. If there's one thing you can't fault Mark Wahlberg on, it's his grammar. It's his grammar. <laughs> uh, you you know, going to say that? His grammar is where it's at. But yeah, so the apocalypse in this film is incredibly unclear. Uh, if you're going off the name or the promotional art, because the apocalypse in this film starts off as people killing themselves. People stop moving and they stop talking and then they eventually just kill themselves. In the film, it is initially explained as the effects of a bioterrorist attack on the northeast of America. But uh, as Mark Wahlberg, Elliot Moore, I think his name is, uh, discovers alongside his family, uh, who is Zoe Deschanel and and some child actor who I don't no, uh, a scientist tells them that it is in fact a case of plants. Finally, after millennia of uh, unjust treatment, plants have developed a defense mechanism that targets the brains of humans when humans come together as a group uh, to force them to go essentially comatose at first and then to kill themselves. Uh, it's an interesting idea, you know, as sci-fi goes, you know, the plants fight back. Um, yeah, they have their time. And conveniently for the plot, uh, this family, the Moore family, were on a train to get stopped in the middle of a rural area where there's tons of plants everywhere. And the problem with this idea and this premise the thing, is... There's just a one problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> one, the pertinent one to this discussion is that uh, how do you make uh, plants scary without making them monstrous, essentially? So we're working with realistic plants here. And the way they do it is that they uh, incorporate, you know, like wind is how the, the plants spread this disease. Okay. Or whatever it is. So the movie essentially becomes shots of Mark Wahlberg and his family and this pack of survivors running from the wind. And these like shots of trying to make the wind rustling grass as scary as it can possibly look. And when they're not running away from the wind, they're checking that every... Uh, they're looking... They're keeping a lookout for... Uh, open doors and open windows as if there's a draft running around the, the film set. It is a terrible apocalypse in how stupid it is. Uh, both in terms of like, okay, let's make this for this, the big screen. Uh, this is going to be filmable for one. But also it's just ridiculous because the way it's it's finished up is that uh, they're running through this like American prairie and they're like constantly looking back. We, we should play a clip actually. Maybe people are setting off the plants? What are you saying? That guy was crazy. We have to save them. They're already dead. What if they're targeting us as threats? I mean, this part of the field may not have been set off. 
Something in this field could be releasing the chemical into the air when there's too many of us together. Let's just stay ahead of the wind. They're running through this prairie like, oh no, it's coming over the hill. And then like the grass gets progressively more and more rustled. And then they just stop running and they don't hold their breath or anything like that. And they hold each other and then they don't die because apparently the plants have stopped. And that's it. The plants just stop. And then the scientists are like, oh, well, I think they just stopped. And it's just like, oh, no fucking shit. And then. And that's it. And then, yeah, but there's like a post credit scene where it pops up in France. And it's just like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's all like 28 Days Later did, you know, to. Actually, exactly, it is exactly what 28 Weeks Later, I think, did, where it popped up in Paris. But it's just like, this is dumb, you know? And it's even like, you can tell it was dumb. It probably made sense in M. Night Shyamalan's mind, this cool new monster film. But mm-hmm. it's the natural world that surrounds us, right? That's an interesting That's premise. It's definitely different. It is. But you can tell it made sense to him and no one else. Because even if you look at the marketing promote, So the trailer, for one, which I recommend everyone to go check out. Stupid looking. <laughs> the, the, the poster, the promo poster. They obviously tried to get wind on the promo poster. And all they did was warp the lines of the building. Like, so it just looks like it's me- it's been left in the sun. You know, in uh, like it's, uh, it's, it's the worst apocalypse in a film, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, given just how purely, poorly thought out it is. Uh, so what do you got? I, I'm starting to regret letting you go first now, I think. Um, oh. Because that was something to follow. I can't. How do you follow M. Night Shyamalan and, and Wind? It's uh, years of hate uh, <laughs> and uh, disappointment there. But Well, uh, yeah, I suppose I don't have the same level of distaste towards this uh, f- director, but I'll give, it a, I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go. Um, yeah, so for my choice of the worst apocalypse in a film, doesn't necessarily spread across the whole world, but it is uh, confined into one space. Um oh. The film I've gone with is Blindness, uh, which was released in 2008 by director Fernando Morelles. You may recognise, or no, you won't recognise his name, but you might mm. recognise his film City of God. Oh, no way. Yes. What? Indeed. And most recently, The Two Popes, which I've seen uh, is also yes. very good. Ah, uh, yes. I, he's an interesting dude. Obviously. He is an interesting yeah, yeah, yeah. dude. The film is based on a book uh, of the same name, which... Uh, from reading reviews was supposed to be excellent and very right. interesting premise which I will go on to tell you now which works a lot better in uh, in text okay. than in visuals so Bindless you may um, take a stab at the premise of the film from the title but it starts off um, with one dude driving in his car a businessman and he just he is stopped at a red light and all of a sudden, he has lost his sight. Mm. But he doesn't know how this has happened. It's just uh, at an instant. Mm. Um, he describes a scene, rather than darkness, a like bright white light. Mm. Um, he goes to see a eye doctor, an eye doctor, who is played by Mark Ruffalo. Okay. And he is there saying, I've never seen this type of thing before. This is um, so unusual. Um, so he goes home he tells his wife about the situation that he was landing himself in today um, his wife played by Julianne Moore right. and basically a couple hours after meeting with this guy he also 
turns blind. Mm. So something is going the on. The doctor. There. The doctor. Right. And this unknown disease that makes everybody blind just seems to continue on spreading. Um, and it gets to a point where so this I should have started off by saying this is set in a it's set in like an unidentified city. Mm-hmm. So it's never set. So two things. Um, the city is never identified and then nobody in the film has a name. Okay. <clears throat> what? No one has Nobody's a name. name. So everybody's just titled as their profession or right. like what they contribute to the story. So um, I'm pretty sure Mark Ruffalo is eye doctor. Yeah. Um, uh, Julianne Moore is doctor's wife. She may have enough, another we, title. We have uh, Alice Braga as woman with dark glasses. Yes. So basically what happens is this is spreading around this unidentified city. And what mm-hmm. the government decided to do is to quarantine. Um, which is obviously very relevant mm. to today's times. They've decided to quarantine the infected into a... It's basically like a blind camp where you put everybody who's infected into one space and obviously yeah. they don't know where they're going. They feel like they're going to... Um, brought to some place that's going to improve their health or they're going to figure right. out what's going on. They're obviously yeah. trying to contain the virus that they don't understand. But um, it's pretty clear that they are being left to do only one of two of those things is just to contain the mm. the disease from spreading further on and they are left to fend for themselves pretty much with limited um, assistance but it's more so just to watch over them to make sure that nobody mm. um, breaks out. Julianne Moore's character follows her husband into this quarantine but she is asymptomatic to this disease. She can actually, she goes into this prison of sort and is the only one who can see mm. Um and therefore tries to basically lead the rebellion to... To lead the blind. I didn't want to say it, <laughs> but you said it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, probably the premise is the same with the, with the happening. Like, the premise of the idea is kind of interesting and something new, and you don't want to knock. It's like there's so many mm. uh, apocalypse films where it's the coming of Christ or, you know, yeah. all these kind of things, um, which have their own merits, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with Blindless... Yeah, again, it seems like it's an interesting premise, but trying to... I think from what I've, I haven't read the book, from the reviews I've read of the book, it's very well... Um, it's just a much better medium for this type of story because you're from the point of view of the person who has become blind, yeah. in a way, and, and how they're trying to yeah, yeah. Uh, go about this new, this new situation they find themselves in. But with the film, you're kind of taking everything that happens in the book into the film and you're just watching it happen mm. and it just it becomes very ridiculous now there's the the matter of food rationing mm. it seems that one of the wards is is taking more than their fair share so i'm proposing that we put together some sort of a committee <laughs> with a representative from each ward who are you excuse me yeah yeah who do you think you are giving all these orders i am i am the chosen representative from ward one and i suggest that you people choose your own representative otherwise we're going to be at each other's throats constantly oh so, so you want to talk to our leader then that's right yeah yeah like in a diplomatic mission negotiate yeah well 
uh, here we have a monarchy system, okay. and um, and I hereby declare myself the king of War Three. Yeah. the king. <laughs> like again, it's not stupid, but it's just the way it was portrayed on on the screen. It just makes everybody because everybody is if, you know, if if anybody became became instantly blind. Yeah. How do you think you know what's your reaction? Like you don't know how to conduct yourself. There's like there's scenes of people bumping into things and being hit by things by people who are swinging yeah. objects that they don't know they're swinging they're all yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's just chaos ensued um i don't know i'm actually reading a uh, uh a bit about mark ruffalo's character originally uh daniel craig was supposed to be cast as him oh, okay and ruffalo ended up doing it ruffalo seems to have had a time doing it though because here's a great quote from him uh, speaking about playing a blind character at first it's terrifying and then it's frustrating and then it gets quiet we're tormented by our eyesight you don't know this until you go blind as an actor i suddenly felt free i don't know it's, it sounds like a pretty good uh premise but at the same time it also feels like you know like what you just described is like a leper colony you know like yeah feels like there's so it doesn't feel like it feels like there's a almost like a formula to this that you could have inserted so many mm-hmm. Uh, epidemics into this role um, but then again I haven't seen it so yeah. there's our, our two contenders for this week uh, yes. we're going to leave it into uh, the hands of whoever de- chooses to listen to this yeah. uh, so and gotten guys, this far and gotten this far so you guys can check out our Instagram page it's uh, it's going to be take2podcast or take.2.pod if, oh, you're, yeah. if you're getting specific, uh, there should be a link in the uh, in the description as well. But check it out. We'll have a, uh, a poll up in the um, in the story. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and that's it from us this week, guys. Uh, thank you very much for for getting through this first episode. As we've been, this has been something we've been talking about doing again for years since we did those first two um, those first two episodes. So we're pretty happy to get back to it in these weird times that allowed us to have enough time to to put the time in uh yeah. i would put it but thank you very much for listening uh we we hope to see you again next week or perhaps the the week after we're we're figuring but we out. definitely promise to be less than a year less than a year <laughs> or two <laughs> or two uh, as as we've made a, a fashion of it so yeah. thanks a lot and see you next week <laughs>